Save big money when you start your next project today at Menards. Convert your current recessed lighting with energy-saving LED downlights from Fight Electric. They're bright and install easily in just minutes. They also go from regular lighting to nightlight mode with just a simple flip of a switch. Save big on all Fight Lighting products now at Menards. Shop our lighting options today in-store and on Menards.com. Save big money at this is the Read to Lead podcast, episode 106. Hi, I'm Mike Goldman, author of Performance Breakthrough, The Four Secrets of Passion and Organizations. There are plenty of breakthroughs to be found here. It's the Read to Lead podcast with my friend, Jeff Brown. If your fear of being rejected is stronger than your desire to go out there and do it, then you might let the fear water you down and derail you from your plans, your dreams. Welcome to the Read to Lead podcast with Jeff Brown. Jeff believes that if you desire to achieve true success in business and in life, then consistent and intentional reading is a must. The Read to Lead podcast will not only help you narrow this ever important reading list, but also bring you key insights and valuable feedback from some of today's most successful and inspiring authors. And now, here's Jeff. Hi, and welcome once again to the podcast dedicated to your personal and professional growth, where the topic of leadership is always central to our discussion, but we also dig into things like personal development, productivity, career, business, marketing, and of course, entrepreneurship. In this episode, we'll be talking with Michael Port who is the author of Steal the Show, from speeches to job interviews to deal-closing pitches, how to guarantee a standing ovation for all the performances in your life. This has quickly become my favorite book on the topic of public speaking, and I highly recommend it. I'm going to be asking Michael about what it means to find your voice and how not to fall into the trap of thinking you don't have enough to offer, how you can be chameleon-like and still be true to who you are at the same time and why this ability is so important, how taking risks pays off and how discomfort can signal opportunity, and much more. If you'd like to stay up to date on future Read to Lead products and services, receive information about Read to Lead University coming in 2016, or just stay up to date on future blog posts and podcast episodes, be sure to go to readtoleadpodcast.com and sign up for our newsletter there at the right of the page. That's readtoleadpodcast.com. Michael Port is a New York Times best-selling author who has written uh, six books, some of which I'm told aren't half bad, actually, <laughs> including the acclaimed uh, Book Yourself Solid, which we talked to Michael about in episode 78 here of the podcast. He's one of the highest-rated keynote speakers working today and is the go-to coach for professional speakers and CEOs around the world. In fact, his companies offer workshops, private coaching, and online courses on marketing, messaging, and public speaking. And the good news for us is he is also the author of the brand new book, Steal the Show, from speeches to job interviews to deal-closing pitches, how to guarantee a standing ovation for all the performances in your life. It's a thrill to have him back. Michael, welcome to Read to Lead. Thank you very much. Well, I want to start out by uh, defining a couple of terms, one of which uh, uh, is talked about early in the book, and, and I talk to my clients about it as well. And it's this word perform or, or performance. And in this context, public speaking, job interviews, pitches, what does it mean to perform, especially, Michael, in light of the fact that most of us don't see ourselves as performers, I think? Sure. 
To me, performing is about connecting. And the fear that people have around the word perform is that they think it means being phony mm-hmm. or fake. But good performance is not about fake behavior. Good performance is authentic behavior in a manufactured environment. And many situations that we find ourselves in, many high stakes situations, of course, anytime we need to give a speech or run a team meeting or uh, go on a job interview or negotiate or sell a product, those are high stakes situations. Mm. And some of them can make or break your career. So the way we perform during those high stakes situations will determine really the quality of our life. Mm. Well, share a bit about finding your voice. You talk about this a bit early in the book and and how not to fall into the trap of, of thinking we don't have enough to offer. Yeah. One of the reasons we get so nervous about speaking in public is because we're afraid of being rejected. Otherwise, I'm not really sure why it's so scary. What are we afraid of? Because we're not going to die when we give a speech. I mean, unless we have a heart attack or something, we're not going to die because we gave a speech. (laughs) You know, maybe our hands will shake a little bit. We'll get, you know, maybe a little red in the face. We'll sweat a little bit, things like that. But we're not going to die. So what are we afraid of? We're afraid of looking stupid. We're afraid of being told that we're wrong or bad or we don't know enough or that we're not enough or we don't deserve to be in front of other people. And we need to work on silencing the critics, I think, Mm. because there are two types of critics. There are external critics and then internal critics. And the external critics, they're the critics in the cheap seats. (laughs) You know, they're the ones who they want to push others down to lift themselves up. And then there are the internal critics, and those are the critics in your head. Those are the voices of judgment. Those are the ones that are telling you that you can't do the things that you want to do. And we will hear the external critics. They will be louder the louder our internal voices of judgment are. But if the internal critic is quieted, then we don't hear the external critic quite as much. I mean, they're going to be there anytime you do anything in the world in a big way. Certainly anytime if you create, you know, if you're a creative artist of some kind, if you are an entrepreneur building something new, you know, people will criticize. It's just the nature of the world in which we live. I wish it wasn't, but it is. (laughs) And so the question is, you know, how loud are those voices to us? And so what we want to do is we want to work on silencing some of those inner critics. And, And the question that I often ask is, which is more important, approval or results? And our knee-jerk reaction usually is to talk, uh, to say, oh, well, no, results, of course. Mm. But I think if we, if we really reflect on it honestly and we look at the choices we make and the actions that we take, things we've done over the years or even yesterday, you know, a lot of times we, we do things because we want a pat on the back. <laughs> and we behave in a way... Uh, that is designed to get other people to approve of us. And sometimes that means watering our voice down, or sometimes it means changing our voice. But your voice is your voice. Mm. And we don't want to water it down. We don't want to pretend it is something other than it is. We want our voice to be strong. But our voice, we don't, you know, we don't speak so that other people say our voice is good or it's right, but we speak to be in service. So if your desire to be in service, if your desire 
to perform, if your desire to speak on something that is meaningful to you is greater than the fear you have of being rejected, well, then you'll do it. Then you'll get up on that platform in front of others and you'll put your message out in the world. But if your fear of being rejected is stronger than your desire to go out there and do it, then you might let the the fear or those small voices, those voices of judgment in your head, water you down and really derail you from your plans, your dreams. How do you marry that, Michael, with uh, this idea you talk about later in the book with being a chameleon-like, which on the surface sounds like it contradicts finding your voice. Uh, so how do you be chameleon-like and true to who you are at the same time? And why is that ability so important? Sure. Life and creativity is filled with contradictions. And it was Fitzgerald who said something about that. He said, you know, something about, you know, uh, the intelligence of a man or the sophistication of a man or, of course, a woman, um, you know, is based on their ability to hold opposing ideas in their head at the same time and still be able to function. And this is one of those ideas. Sometimes when you hear the word chameleon, you think shapeshifter. And if somebody calls you a chameleon, the concern might be that you're somehow inauthentic. You know, you're pretending to be something that you're not. And I, I use this analogy specifically just to, just to provoke this idea because a chameleon is actually completely authentic. So when a chameleon is on a green leaf, it turns green. When it's on a red leaf, it turns red. It's not pretending to turn green. It didn't slap a coat of paint on itself. It actually turned green. That green color is part of its voice. It's part mm. of its DNA. And it changes according to the environment that it's in. Based on the part of their DNA that is most applicable, most appropriate, most helpful for that environment. So there's a chapter in Steal the Show uh, where I show people how to play the right role in any given situation. Because different situations often require different parts of our personality. Different interactions with different people require different styles of behavior. <laughs> different speeches require different styles of delivery. And so if we get comfortable with adapting our style, to the given situation, as long as it is part, it is still part of our personality. You know, we're amplifying different parts of our personality uh, in different situations based on what is most helpful to us. Then our voice is still true. Then we are still true to our beliefs. I'm not suggesting that you change your value system to try to fit in somewhere. Not at all. But what I am suggesting is that you are much more flexible than you might think. That you are more adaptable than you might think that you are more of a performer than you mm. might think. But we get wrapped up in an idea of ourself. We get wrapped up in the idea that we are certain, we are this one thing, or we do this, but we will never do that. <laughs> you know, my, my fiance is a vegetarian. Well, if for some reason there was absolutely no vegetarian option in the world left ever, period. Mm. There was only meat. <laughs> well, she would start eating meat instead of dying. <laughs> She would. I, I know this for a fact. So, so we will change. We will adapt based on uh, what we uh, need to do at the moment. And eventually she actually might start to like meat after a while of eating it. So 
So I, I, I'm just open to the fact that, and this is probably because, you know, I, I was an, a professional actor for years. And also one of the reasons I probably became an actor is because I was very comfortable, uh, in being more fluid in terms of how I saw myself and in terms of the people that I surrounded myself with, I feel that I can hang out with the guys, the real rough guys down at the docks <laughs> and I can hang out with the librarians and my, my pacing, my tone, my language, my physicality, they will morph according to which group I'm in. Mm. It, it, but there's still parts of me. It's not like, okay, now I'm going to pretend that I'm this like rugged, tough guy. I'm not going to go in there. Yo, what's up? How you doing? You know, <laughs> like I'm not, I'm not going to pretend that I speak differently, but, mm. but some patterns will change. And I think many of us do that naturally. Yeah. Uh, but now the question is, can you uh, do it intentionally so that you can progress forward. You know, I did a few other podcast interviews today, and one of them I did in the morning was with a host who was, I'd say, take our speed now and multiply, multiply it by 8,000. <laughs> he was like, hey, what's up? This is what we're going to do. Blah, 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 Boom, boom, boom. And if I paused for a second, he was just in there. Okay, so, here, you know, I was like, oh, my God. And it was great fun. It was really, it was yeah. short. You know, you couldn't, yeah. you couldn't sustain that for, uh, for an hour. Uh, but it worked for his show quite well. Mm. But I had to adjust my style in order to work well on that show. Your style is a little more sophisticated, a little more NPR-like, mm. um, more thoughtful, more deliberate. And so what I do is I bring out the different parts of my personality and style that would fit into your program to serve your audience. Because my assumption is that your audience resonates with your style. That's why they listen to your program. Mm. But I'm not, you know, I'm not coming in here and going, well, how are you? I'm not changing any, my voice. I'm still, <laughs> right. you know. Right. So, anyway. I think that advice too is for anybody who, who desires to appear on podcasts or who does so regularly needs to hear that uh, for sure. Because I, th I, think, I think you've really hit on something. Although maybe when I when I grow up I'll ha I'll have a voice like yours that'd be cool. <laughs> right. Hello and welcome to you know I just I can't get down that low it's just it's too good. It's too good. Well, Michael, talk about the difference between being in the limelight and and hogging the limelight and and the two important points you talk about to keep in mind related to that. Sure. So upstaging someone is very different than stealing the show. Mm. Stealing the show is a gift to the audience. Mm. Ideally, anybody, everybody in the show steals the show. And then, of course, the whole thing is a huge hit. Sometimes people will resent you when you are given the spotlight because you are the most compelling. But, you know, that's not that's not a reason not to take it. You know, you don't again, you don't dumb yourself down uh, because other people uh, are upset because they can't. Uh, do the work necessary or they won't do the work necessary, you know, to shine when the spotlight's on them. So you don't worry about that. But upstaging people is very different. We never want to do that. What we want to do is say yes rather than no. When we upstage somebody, we're saying no. We are blocking them. We are uh, taking away their timing. So we are, mm. we are overlapping uh, with them, not allowing them to finish their ideas, their thoughts. Uh, we're rejecting their ideas, et cetera. That's, that's upstaging somebody. But you, you need the people around you in order to do big things in the world. And so one of the concepts that I address in the book is the fundamental improvisation technique of saying yes and. Mm. 
And it goes like this. Let's say you and I were doing an improv scene and you ran in and said, oh my God, my leg is broken. I'm in so much pain. <laughs> I said, ah, you're fine. <laughs> That's it. It's done. Mm. What the performer does is, it, is the performer moves the action forward. Everything we do should move our conversation forward, should move our relationships forward, should move our life forward, not backwards. We don't want to stop, cut things off. And I would, I would have cut that off if I said, no, you're fine. Mm. Now, you might be able to pull it off because you're clever and you've got this great voice and you'd, oh, you know, you'd come up with something. But instead of that, if you had run in and said, oh, my God, I'm in so much pain, I broke my leg. And I said, oh, that's terrible. But you know what? Your hair looks fantastic. <laughs> well, I just said yes and this. And then you can say, yes, thank you. I was at the hair salon. I was getting my hair dyed. The smell of the chemicals made me pass out. I fell off the chair, <laughs> broke my leg. You know, and then we've got somewhere to go. Mm. And the same thing is true in life, in your relationships. If you want people to say yes to you, you need to say yes to them. And so that is what you do to steal the show uh, not turn things off, not, not, you know, not stop the process dead in its tracks. Well, related to that is, is something else I wanted to touch on and that's risks and taking risks. How, how does taking risks pay off? And, and, and more specifically, Michael, how can discomfort uh, signal opportunity as you put it in the book? So in steal the show, I use acting as a model for performance in aspects of our life. And of course, uh, in public speaking. So it's not just a metaphor, but it's a model. And of course, the Steal the Show is for non-actors. It's not, I'm not teaching acting in any way, shape or form, mm. but I'm using it as a model because taking risks is something that can be scary. And I am actually risk adverse when it comes to things like jumping off of bridges. <laughs> I have no desire to jump out of a plane. Thank you very much. Unless, of course, it's burning then, <laughs> and I have a parachute, then maybe. But that's a different kind of risk than going after your desires. Those are two very different things. And I use acting as a model because you can, you can take this example and you can see how it will translate uh, to different situations in your regular life. What makes actors compelling to watch are the risks that they take, are the big choices that they make. Because watching small choices and watching pedestrian activities is boring. Mm. So it's interesting to watch a rocket ship take off. Not so interesting to watch people walk on treadmills. Now, <laughs> If, you know, if your if if your favorite movie stars were walking on the treadmills, that might <laughs> be a little bit more exciting. Uh, but it's a, it's very you can you can see the difference right there. So the people that are the most compelling are the ones who are willing to take risks, who are willing to do things that are compelling to others. Now, that doesn't mean they always work. Uh, the shuttle has obviously had uh, a few disasters in its mm. time, uh, but the NASA's also put um men on the moon and a rover on Mars and so much more. But without those risks, they are not going to explore the unknown. They're not going to conquer new frontiers. Mm -hmm. And that's what we need to do as well. And if we pretend that we don't care about something, we generally don't get it. For example, 
when I was an actor, I was testing for a film called Kiss the Girls. Mm. And Kiss the Girls was a film with Morgan Freeman. And it was to play opposite Morgan Friedman. It's to play the cop who turns out to be the killer. Mm. Now, I look like a cop and a killer. So it's actually kind of a good, you know, one or the other. You go, he's a cop or a serial killer. I'm not sure. But, but it was good. It was actually good casting for me. And I was nervous about it. And what I did was play really cool. I said, you know, I don't care if I get it. It's not that big a deal. And I'm sure the script's probably not that great because, you know, like, oh, the cop who really is the serial killer. Come on. You know, like I made up these these reasons that I don't really care if I get it or not. Mm. And as a result, I didn't prepare as hard as I or as much as I should have. And this way, when I don't get it, I could go, yeah, well, it didn't really matter. I didn't care. You know, Mm. if I'd cared, I probably would have gotten it. You know, some (laughs) BS like that. Right. Now, of course, at the time, I didn't realize I was doing this. It took uh, some growing up to see that. But I don't pretend that I don't care about something when I want it. Like, I don't pretend that I am like, yeah, you know, buy the steal the show or don't buy this steal the show, whatever. I'm cool. Buy, steal the show. I want you to read this book. I care about this. And I think you want to, you want to go on journeys with people that care. You want to give opportunities to people that care. So caring requires risk taking. Loving requires taking risk. And what's risk about at the end of the day is always about getting hurt. It's about getting rejected. And so, as I said, I'm not talking about jumping off of bridges or bungee jumping, those kind of things. (laughs) I'm talking about taking smart, thought out risks that put your dreams and your desires on the line. Because if you're desires are stronger than your fears, you'll generally do big things. But if your fears are stronger than your desires, you know, you, you may get hung up and maybe those things that you think you desire aren't really that important to you, but you're doing them because it seems like they should be important. Like let's say somebody is, you know, in our business and they go, I should probably have a podcast because, you know, everybody's a podcast. Mm. So yeah, I want a podcast. Okay, I don't know. But I'm really afraid of people are going to think I'm stupid. Do I have enough to say? Will I sound weird? I don't know the technology. You have all these fears. Mm-hmm. But you will conquer those fears if you care deeply about doing that podcast. But if it just is, a, is an idea that seems like a good idea, or you go, I, I want to do a podcast because I want to, you know, I want to be famous. I want to be really cool. Like I want people to go, oh my God, you're number one on New and Notable. You know, <laughs> but your fears are actually greater than your desire to do the podcast. Uh, then you might not do it or you'll do a couple episodes and then you'll quit. I think it's so important that we recognize that that propensity, I guess, is the word to build those excuses in, to to think this isn't all that important or to convince ourselves it's not and then not try as a built-in excuse to you know, when, when, when things don't go our way. I, I've been guilty of that in the past and I don't know if I've met anyone who hasn't at one time or, or another been guilty of that. And I'm sure I'll be guilty of it in the future at some point. Right, right. All of these things that I'm, I'm, suggest, I'm, I'm addressing here are things that we, we continue to reflect upon. We look for them. Are we, are we acting in this way? Are we acting in the most productive way? Are we making choices that are moving life forward? Are we making big choices? Are we choosing early and often or are we perseverating? Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm not of the mindset that you just somehow become this perfect person who, you know, does all of these things perfectly. But if we put the circumstances in place 
for navigating to the kind of results that we want, we're more likely to get there than floundering around. So we know what to look for mm. in the way that we behave. We're able to choose behaviors that are more productive. That's all it is. Well, chapter eight gets into uh, what Michael calls being in the moment. I love this. Define this concept for us, Michael, and in some of the ways you talk about that connected people actively listen. What'd you say? <laughs> you almost got me. <laughs> almost. So that's my favorite joke. It's an absolute terrible joke. I do it all the time. My father did it. That's why I do it. You know how there's a few jokes that fathers pass down to their sons yes. that are terrible and then they, they just keep getting worse. Right. <laughs> but I, I do love that joke. And, and it is part because I think listening is such an important skill. In order to be in the moment, we have to recognize what's actually happening in the moment. And that requires awareness. And as a speaker, one of the things that happens to you as you become more skilled is you're actually able to see yourself performing as you perform. So if you give a speech and you finish the speech and you feel like you have no idea what you did, what, are, what, what did I do? I have no idea what I said. Well, you may not have been well prepared mm. and you, you also are still at a real entry level point. And, and that's great because it means you have a, a lot of opportunity to develop more skill because folks who are really well prepared and know what they're going to do when they go out there and are comfortable in such a way that they allow themselves to be in the moment and recognize what's going on around them at all times, they start to be able to see themselves performing. It's, it's like a quarterback who is in the zone. People have probably heard that concept where everything slows down. And a moment that was just a few seconds for them feels like it was a minute. Mm. That's what starts to happen when you're performing something that you are very familiar with over time. And as a result, you're able to be very spontaneous without preparation. Spontaneity is just winging it. Mm. And a lot of people who are natural communicators feel more comfortable winging it than preparing. <laughs> there's a couple of reasons. Number one, because it takes a lot less work, you know? <laughs> and number two, they say, well, listen, if I rehearse, then I feel stiff. I just want to be able to be free and, you know, in the moment. And I think they're really on something because they've tried to rehearse in the past. And as a result, they felt stiff because when they were performing, giving a speech or, you know, in a negotiation or something, they were trying to recall what they rehearsed. Mm. And as a result, they were not in the moment. So it didn't work well for them. And the reason is they didn't have enough rehearsal. In order to be able to listen as a performer, to hear what's going on in the room, to recognize what your audience needs, to answer Q&A, et cetera, you want to be so prepared that you don't have to think about what you're doing next. Mm. If you know your material well enough, then it just comes to you in the moment organically, but it is what you prepared. And if you want to improvise and go off track... You can come right back on track as a result. Mm. And that is a really very powerful place to be. It also reduces anxiety. Yes, it does. Yeah, one of the reasons that we get scared when we're going to give a speech is because we don't feel prepared. And if we don't feel prepared, we're going to be nervous that we're not going to do a good job because we're nervous of looking bad. It always goes back to that. You know, people are not going to like it. They're going to, we're going to look bad. I'm going to look stupid. I'm going to mess it up. All of those things. And that just, you know, creates more and more anxiety. But the 
the more comfortable you feel around something, the, well, think about it this way. The better you get at something, the better you want to get at that thing. You just keep learning more as you learn more. It's more exciting. You see more opportunity mm. and you become more comfortable. I know as I, as I speak to, to various groups uh, and having come from a background in, in radio, Michael, I, a lot of people don't realize the level of preparation that goes in to making uh, a radio show sound spontaneous and sound in the moment. It's, it's a lot more, I think, than, than most people uh, would, ever, would ever believe. And also, Jeff, the better you get, the more you realize how good you can be. Mm. That's what's extraordinary about it, because when you're starting on a journey, you don't know how capable you're going to be because you haven't tried it yet. But as you get better, you realize how good you can be. Additionally, Ira Glass, you may have heard this. Ira Glass was interviewed and he was talking about creativity and how traumatic being a creative artist can be. And he said, when you start off, your taste is higher than your ability to produce. <laughs> so what you're making doesn't live up to what you like. And as a result, you get frustrated and you may quit. But as you develop more skill, what you're able to produce will be much closer and maybe even it will surpass your taste. And then, then you feel excited. Then you feel good. And the interesting thing about creativity is that on one project, you'll get there. Another project, you might not. Another project, you'll get there. And another, you might not. Just like some of your episodes, the experience that somebody's having and the way you deal with it will influence the presentation. The moment and trying to create the best experience you can for your audience and the preparation that you do, as well as the listening that you do in the moment, uh, is what makes it work. Well, just for the record, this is going to be one of those compelling episodes. Oh, absolutely. Number one best episode ever. Ever. That's right. Already is. Already is. Uh, Speaking of being in the moment, uh, it it reminds me of a time when I gave a talk a couple of years ago. And afterwards, I had a couple of people come up to me and, and compliment me on what a great job I did of pushing through when that loud music began playing from the next room. And how I didn't let it phase me. And my response was, what loud music? I had no idea that, that this was even happening. And so it made me realize as I read your book that while that in one sense was a good thing, that it didn't phase me, uh, on the other side of that coin, I, I wasn't truly in the moment. When you are speaking, you're in charge of that room. Hmm. You're the captain of the ship. Even if somebody else has brought you in to give the speech, it is your room. And, and you are responsible for what happens. Ultimately, it's not your fault that there's music playing, but you're responsible for the experience that the audience has Mm. while you're up there. And if somebody's phone rings, that could interrupt. If I'm so worried about remembering what I'm going to speak on in my speech, I might not pay attention to those kind of things because I'm, I need so much bandwidth just to remember what's coming next. But because you're so well prepared, you can go do that, then jump back up on stage and keep going right where you were without, you know, without a moment's hesitation. And if you do forget where you were, you say to the audience, where was I? They say, oh, you were talking about the, on the bus. Like, oh yeah, on the bus. So here we go. And you're back. Mm. And nobody has a problem with that. Nobody has a problem with you losing your place every once in a while. If you're cool with it, if you're okay with it, the audiences will forgive a lot 
fact, the bar is quite low. <laughs> that, that is the fact of the matter. <laughs> Even just some prep, some more preparation than you do, uh, some more development of your skills really can put you, uh, you know, way above the bar. Would you say that's a good example of what you talk about when you when you suggest choosing early and often and that unfounded fear of, of, of making the wrong choice? Sure. I make I make choices all the time that don't work, but that's what the performer does. Mm. If you think about a comedian, not every joke that the comedian tells kills. Right. And then they try to figure out, well, why didn't that joke work? I thought that it would work. Let me go figure it out. Let me go work on it. All the time. If I went, okay, if I was going to go back and do the podcast over again and I listened to it, there are many sections where I would answer differently, more succinctly, mm. or I'd make a different transition, or I'd draw out a particular pause. There's so many things I would do differently if I did it again, but that's not how this works. <laughs> and if it was, then it would be a different medium. It would be something else, which is why take podcasting, for example, many people have trouble podcasting when they do episodes on their own because they will, they won't get through an episode because they'll make mistakes and they'll start over and over and over and over, <laughs> and over again because they want it to be perfect and they get so caught up in everything being perfect that they keep stopping themselves. So that's why I say, you know, make your choice, stick with that choice. And if it, doesn't work perfectly, fine. Make another choice that takes you closer to your where, where you want to go. Keep working toward where you want to go. That's your job is to progress towards the audience. You're always progressing forward, moving toward them, mm. uh, doing everything in your power to get them to think something, feel something, do something. Uh, and, you know, some things you say in the beginning of a presentation will resonate with one part of the audience and some things you say later on will resonate with another part more. It's a very fluid experience. Well, I wanted to mention that um, Michael's book is divided into three sections, and, and many of the questions that I have posed thus far come out of sections uh, one and two, the performer's mindset and powerful performance principles. Uh, we don't have time to, to cover section three in depth, uh, but I do want to ask a couple of questions related to that, Michael, in the time that we have left. A master class in public speaking is the title of that section, and it is exactly that and more. Talk a bit about the three essential elements of effective content creation. It's getting ready, organizing your content, and then actually creating your content. So I'll do this in an, uh, in an abbreviated format because uh, it's pretty extensive mm -hmm. uh, in the book. And I would say this, if someone has a speech to give in the next few days, don't read the book yet. Mm. You don't want to read the masterclass in public speaking if you've got to give a speech in three days because you will freak out. <laughs> You'll go, everything I'm doing is not, I have to change everything. Oh my God, you, you don't want to do that. So get through that speech, then come back to the book and read it. So getting ready, when we look at great speeches, most, most great speeches have five components that are present uh, in those speeches. And the first one is a big idea. And it doesn't have to be different to make a difference. It just has to be true. Mm. So in Martin Luther King's I Have a Dream speech, he said that all men and women are created equal. That was his big idea. But I don't think that was a new idea. I think it's actually in the Constitution. <laughs> but it wasn't realized in the real world. Mm. So it was actually a very big idea to bring because it was a confrontational confronting 
idea for many people. Mm. So that's first, a big idea. And then a promise, a promise that you're making to the audience and your speech is, is about delivering on that promise. What's the promise that you make to the audience? And then third is making sure that you understand the way the audience sees the world. Because if, if you don't understand the way they see the world, it's very hard to create content for them because it won't be relevant necessarily. You'll just be grasping at straws. And of course, when you present content to them, that's confronting. If they don't believe that you really understand the way the world is for them, then they will often push back on that content because they say, oh, well, you're different. You don't really get me. Mm. Even if what you're offering them would be helpful, it's easier to reject it. The fourth component is making sure that you can demonstrate the consequences of not adopting this big idea. You know, what are the things that'll happen that you'll not be happy with <laughs> if, if you don't adopt this big idea? And mm. then, of course, number five, what are the rewards of adopting this big idea? How is the world going to change for the better for you if you think this or if you feel this or if you do this, diff this thing? Uh, so that's how we get ready. And, and that's a very important part of the process. And then we organize our content into using a very, a very, one of the, or a number of the different frameworks that I have outlined in the book. And I'll go a few, th uh, through a few of them quickly. Because the better organized your information is when you're giving a presentation, the easier it is for people to consume. And of course, the easier it is for them to consume, the more valuable it is for them and the more likely they'll be able to do something with it. And one of the reasons that Steal the Show is an effective book is because the information is organized in a way that is easy to consume. And that's a very, very important part of any type of content creation development process. And here are a few frameworks that you can use. You can use them individually or you can use them uh, together. You can have a speech that has a number of these different frameworks present in different sections to create contrast. But let's start with the most common framework is the numerical framework. The numerical framework is just as it sounds. It's a number of keys or principles or rules. They don't necessarily have an order to them. You could present one or two of them or all seven of them. Mm. You could present them in either way. Normally you do one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, and then uh, next time you switch it. They, there's more flexibility uh, in that particular uh, framework. Another framework that is very popular is the chronological framework. And that has a numerical element because there are a number of steps. But these steps need to be presented in a particular order to make sense. So, uh, so that's another framework that's excellent, however, for teaching a process uh, that it has a step-by-step -step, um, protocol. The, a third framework that you can use is the problem-solution framework. It's a really wonderful way of, uh, of presenting information to people because often they are faced with problems and they want to overcome these problems. So you can present a series of problems. You could say, here are 10 problems. You see how you're overlapping numerical and problem-solution? Mm. So here are 10 problems and here are 10 solutions. Mm. Here are five problems, here are five solutions. Really straightforward, uh, really wonderful way to consume. And then, of course, deliver. These frameworks also help you deliver because it's a lot easier to remember your information inside of organized frameworks than uh, just as a bunch of ideas that you're going to talk about. Uh, another framework that you can use is the compare and contrast framework, where you compare and contrast different 
scenarios or different concepts. Uh, Good to Great by Jim Collins. I use books as examples often because more more people have read the same books than seen the same speeches. Mm -hmm. So they can relate to them a little uh, more easily. Uh, He compared good companies and great companies. He said, well, these are the elements that were in place in the good companies. And here are the elements that were in place in the great companies. You see, here are the ones that are overlapping and here are the ones that are different in the great companies. So now you know what you, you need to do in order to be great. Mm. Very effective, wonderful way of, of introducing uh, information. And then finally, and it's not, you know, it's not, it's not last, meaning there are maybe other frameworks you can use. These are really great ones to start with, is the modular framework, where if you have a lot of information, you break it up into modules or parts. So Steal the Show is a three-part uh, book mm. because there are big ideas that need to be broken up and then managed uh, with uh, either building blocks or numerical frameworks or step-by-step frameworks or compare and contrast frameworks or problem solution frameworks inside of those modules. Makes it much easier for people to consume and they know where they are in their learning process. Uh, book Yourself Solid, my very first book in 2006, is a modular framework that has a chronological framework inside the entire thing. And that's different than steal the show. Steal the show. You could start with module two if you wanted or part two. And then you could you could start with part three if you wanted. Mm-hmm. I prefer people to start with part one. That's why I made it part one. But <laughs> you, if you just want to get on all the technical stuff, the, the master class for public speaking, that's it. You don't want anything about the performance mindset or the principles, et cetera. You could, you'd be fine. You could read that and you'd be good to go. But in Book Yourself Solid, you really need the foundation first. Then you move into building trust and credibility, then pricing uh, and selling, then et cetera. So, uh, you know, that's, uh, they're, they're, they're important distinctions there. And you were often perceived as an expert when you can organize your information very well. And then mm-hmm. once you start creating, whew, well, that's, a, that's an, iterative, an iterative and a generative process. Mm-hmm. I have not yet met, I think, Maybe David Mamet can do this. Maybe Seth Godin can do this, uh, although uh, I still think they do a lot of rewriting. Mm. But I've, I've yet to meet somebody who can just pick one of these frameworks and then just write and then go perform and it's perfect. Rehearsal and content creation is a very messy process. I expect very little of what I create to actually end up in the performance. And I'm comfortable with that. I also am very comfortable with sucking during <laughs> rehearsal. <laughs> Because I know that's part of the process. Mm. Uh, And that allows me to do the kind of rehearsal and the kind of content creation that will get me where I want to go. So I always start with a brain dump around the organization. I mean, around those frameworks. Mm. And then I, I, you can either pull out the things that you don't think apply, or you can focus on finding the things that you think do apply. One or the other, you get to the same result uh, either way. And then you just uh, start identifying the key points in each section, because I think, the lesson is very important first, and then we start to build in the stories, the examples, the protocols we're going to use to deliver that lesson, which in aggregate, all of the lessons in aggregate mm. deliver on the overall promise of the presentation. Well, I know a number of people who would consider themselves confident public speakers, but the idea of, of the Q&A to follow uh, really rattles their cage i think uh, because they they feel that's when they're not no longer in control and your book is one of the first uh, on this topic that i've seen if not the only one 
that addresses that specifically. Yes. So Q&A. I love Q&A. I really do. I love it for a few reasons. I love it because you can connect personally. You can answer people's specific questions. It helps you reaffirm, re-articulate certain ideas Mm. from your presentation. Uh, And it demonstrates uh, the extent of your knowledge. Now, one of the reasons that people are anxious about it, because they're afraid they're going to get a question that they can't answer, Mm. or they're going to answer badly, or somebody's going to take over the room. And there are a lot of techniques that I teach that help you manage that process. Now, it is very important that the audience knows that you are in charge of that room. Mm. So you cannot let someone take over. Generally, when somebody starts a question with, in my experience, that's not a question. <laughs> they are not, they're going to tell you a long story uh, <laughs> so that their point of view is shared. All right. And then maybe there's a question in there somewhere, but it usually takes a while to get to. So, you know, the more experience you get with it, the more that you can pick up on that quite quickly. And so before Q&A, I always make sure that I set up the experience very specifically because expectations are essential Mm. so that they know what you expect from them and they know what they can expect from you. Now, I generally don't do Q&A at the end of a presentation. I try to make it a separate segment because if I'm doing a keynote and then we run into Q&A, the energy of the space changes. I am in less control of the content that is delivered. Mm. And I am in less control of the calls to action at the end of that presentation. Now, some people will do Q&A, they'll do their speech, do a Q&A, and then they'll take five or 10 minutes to close their keynote uh, after the Q&A so mm. that they bring the room back to where they want. But what I try to do is I ask conference organizers to let me give the keynote, then take a, a break so that the energy in the room changes as a result. And then a Q&A session where we put a couple of chairs on stage uh, and there's a moderator that helps filter some of the questions. And uh, then I'll take the Q&A for a certain period of time. So they are essentially two separate segments, but you know you can uh, get them in in the amount of time that you might normally have done a, Q, uh, a keynote or usually just a little bit longer. Uh, and it, it works very well. I've found I've great results with that. But when you start the Q&A, you want to tell them, you say, uh, you say, listen, here's what's going to happen. You're going to ask your question, but you're going to come with your question first. So there's a question mark at the end of your first sentence, because this way we can get to more questions. This way I can be even more specific mm. with my answer to your question. And they like that. And then the people who are not asking questions really like that because they know they're not going to have to listen to somebody else for a long period of time because they didn't come to listen to the other people in the room. They came to listen (laughs) to your answers to the questions that the people in the room have. And they feel comfortable with that, that they know you're in control of that room and you're not going to let anybody take it over. Uh, And that helps set the tone. It helps set expectations. Now you do it, you know, with a big smile, you're warm about it. You're doing it for them. And then when you're answering questions, it's important to answer the question so that you give the specific answer to that person's question, but also make the answer applicable to the entire room. Mm. Because if your answers get too micro, if they're too specific to that person and they lose uh, their general application, Mm. uh, then the audience starts to tune out. 
So often when someone's asked a question, I'll, I'll take the question in and then I'll give the answer that is that the whole room would find valuable. Then I'll segue into the specific answer for that person's question. Then I'll go on to the next person's question. Michael, are you still offering at this point uh, some of the bonuses that you had available when the book first released? We are. Yeah, okay. we actually keep them up on stealtheshow.com, stealtheshow.com. So if people buy one copy of the book, they get over $1,000 in bonuses. That, that's actually real stuff. Uh, templates, <laughs> um, uh, courses, uh, documentary, video documentaries, long extended uh, masterclass documentaries, some pretty cool stuff there. So you can buy Steal the Show anywhere books are sold. Uh, then make sure you also head it over to stealtheshow.com to pick up some bonuses. I, I can attest to that because I had a copy given to me for this interview, but after learning of those bonuses, I turned around and bought copies so I could nice. <laughs> get some of those Smart as well. Man. Excellent. <laughs> Excellent. And then, of course, I'd, I'd love people to uh, go go over and listen, and then if they like it, subscribe to Steal the Show with Michael Port, which is a podcast uh, here on iTunes as well. And that's a very content-driven podcast. The first 40-plus episodes are just me uh, teaching content uh, from Steal the Show, and it really feels like an audio course. Uh, so there are five-minute episodes. There are 20-minute episodes. There's a lot of uh, fast and uh, hard-hitting content-driven episodes. I'm getting a lot out of that as well to complement the reading, listening to three or four episodes a week as I as I do my morning run. Highly recommend the Steal the Show podcast. Michael, it's been a treat to have you on again. And uh, your new book, Steal the Show, uh, is one of my favorites of 2015. I'm getting a lot out of it as this is something I'm doing more and more of. And as far as books go on this topic, I consider it the absolute best that I've ever read. Oh, that's so cool. Thank you. Well, thank you for, for your time. We really appreciate it. And it's always a thrill to have you here. So anytime you write a book, uh, you have an open invitation to come back on the show. Thank you so much. That's so kind. You do such a great job. You're really best in class. I can't say enough about Steal the Show. Again, one of the best resources I've seen if you're in the business or desire to be in the business of public speaking or to just get better at it than you currently are. And as Michael hinted, there are over $1,000 worth of bonuses available to you with the purchase of just a single copy of the book. I'll put all the information you need to take advantage of that in the show notes page for today's episode. It's readtoleadpodcast.com forward slash 106 for episode 106. Remember to sign up for the Read to Lead podcast newsletter if you desire to stay up to date on future Read to Lead related products and services, Read to Lead University coming in 2016, or general blog posts and updates. Just go to readtoleadpodcast.com and simply enter your first name and email address in the form on the page. That's readtoleadpodcast.com. A rating and review in iTunes is always appreciated. You can go to readtoleadpodcast.com slash iTunes and do that right now. The latest review can comes in from Jumanji25, who gives it five stars and calls it a must-listen. He or she says you'll learn so much from the interviews. For the busy professional who can't read every new book of the market but wants to keep growing, this podcast is perfect for you. I tend to agree. <laughs> Appreciate you listening. Thank you so much. That does it for this week. I look forward to seeing you next time for the Read to Lead podcast. Thanks so much for listening to the Read to Lead podcast. As a subscriber, we challenge you to be more than just a passive listener. Become a vital member of the community. Visit us on the web at readtoleadpodcast.com. Until next time, remember, leaders read and readers lead. Read to Lead.